At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe, and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. How many of you have thought, how many of you have considered, how many of you have pondered heaven this week? I mean, seriously. How many of you have got to the point where maybe you're playing with your kids, perhaps you're cooking dinner, maybe you're paying the bills, maybe you're finishing a house project, whatever you might be doing in your daily life, maybe actually paused and thought about heaven for a moment. You see, for some of us that are further along on the journey of faith, heaven is something that perhaps we're looking forward to. We're longing for heaven. For others of us who are maybe just beginning our journey, we're a little bit younger, the the idea of heaven itself seems kind of far off. It's something that we know that we should be mindful of and yet not really thinking about it because life itself is coming at us so fast. We have so many things to do. There's so many things to be about that we don't really consider the significance of heaven. It's a bit of an afterthought. You know, the reality is there's really no wrong or right answer to that first question that I asked. Did you think about it this week? And yet for most of us, when we pause long enough, when we breathe in deeply and when we allow our hearts and our minds to slow down. It's very difficult to do today. And yet when we do, when we allow ourselves to slow down and find that kind of rhythm of our heart, then when it matches with what we're thinking, heaven is in fact something that many of us can dream about in those moments. I want you to know, according to C.S. Lewis, this is a good thing. Here's what Lewis writes. He says, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Why would Lewis make that statement? Why would he make that kind of statement? The reality is he would make that statement because there is great importance in thinking and looking and dreaming about what lies ahead, not simply what's happening in the immediate. When you look ahead, when you think to the future, I'm going to tell you something that is incredibly countercultural. We don't do that right now because we have so many things going on. There's so many things filling our calendar hour by hour, day by day, week after week. We just go and go and go. And so we don't think about the long term. We don't think about the future very often because we live in the now and we want it fast. We want it to happen immediately. 
And yet, if we're honest, what's happening in our own hearts is actually having a dramatic impact on small businesses and small towns alike because they are dying out. You'd say, well, how is that happening? Because huge companies can put a package on your doorstep within 24 hours. I want it, and I want it now. Boom, it happens now. You get it, and you get it fast. But the question we're not considering is, what about the long haul? What happens next? What about the future? You see, this morning, what my hope is, is that we would, in fact, be able to pause that we would be able to take a deep breath, that we would be able to reflect not just upon what's happening in the immediate, but that we would be able to look to the future, that we would be able to think about what's happening in eternity, that we might be able to think about eternal things. And I'm also going to be honest with you, there's Plenty of people in our culture who will talk about heaven and they will talk about an eternity with God as if it's some sort of rite of passage. There's some sort of entitlement that happens that if you just happen to be an American, well, then all of that is for you. I've got bad news for the casual thinker. I've got good news for the biblical thinker. You see, eternity with God is exclusive. I'm going to say that one more time. Eternity with God is exclusive. This is why Jesus says these words, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads where? To destruction. That's easy. That's an easy path. And for those who enter it, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard and leads to life, and those who find it are few. Are few. So the question that we must consider today is what is the narrow gate? What is this gate that Jesus speaks of? And perhaps most important for each of us today is how can we find that narrow gate, that narrow path? I've got good news for you today. We're going to be turning to a portion of Scripture that is going to guide us, that is going to lead us into answers that are biblical, not cultural, but they are soundly biblical when it comes to eternal things. We're going to turn there in just a moment, but before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, We do seek in this moment to quiet our hearts, to still our minds for a moment, to cast aside what is pushing in on us, the pace and the intensity of work or what's happening at home or what's happening in relationships, that we might be able to pause over these next few moments to reflect upon you to reflect upon your truth as it is proclaimed in your word. God, we need that today. 
We feel the pressure, and yet we're longing for something, and the longing within our hearts is for you and for eternity. And so, God, would you meet with us in the truth of your word today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, minister to us today. God, give us eyes to see the truth that's found in your word. Give us ears to hear this truth, and then humble, genuine hearts before you to not only receive this, but to live this truth in the week ahead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, White Lake family, we have reached the final segment of our in-depth look at the Apostles' Creed. Now, today is part nine of our sermon series. It's called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. You've seen it on the screen behind me throughout this series. And uh, when I say it's part nine, I do want to make just a quick aside and let you know that if you missed a week as we've unpacked the Apostles' Creed line by line by line, if you have missed a week, I want to encourage you to go to Spotify, go to iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, you can download uh, those sermons to stay in t- up to speed on, on each week of the Apostles' Creed. I think this has been a very important series for us as a church family as we really wrap our minds around essential doctrine, core truths. And so if you missed one, I want to encourage you to go back and, uh, and listen to those on, those, uh, on those locations. Now, as we get to the end of the creed, we are in week nine, so we are at the end of the creed. And what we find is the final truth statement that reads, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Now that I've told you what it is, I want to ask you to do that thing we've done every week as we have gathered together. I want to affirm this final truth from the Apostles' Creed together. So let's affirm it. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You see, this statement is going to serve as our guide today as we seek to align our beliefs with the historic Christian doctrine, the historic Christian faith. One of the things that I love most about our faith is that it has such a rich history. So very significant. And what I want to remind you of is that the Apostles' Creed really was established in that second century. And so as believers would gather, they would affirm this creed from that point forward. Now I'm going to tell you something that's really, really obvious. That is a lot of declaration of truth. That is a lot of people affirming those truths throughout history very significant. That is a lot of believers. And so with that statement as our backdrop today, I want us to grab our Bibles and turn with me to the, about the middle of the New Testament, maybe near the end of, uh, of the Bible. We're looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You're going to find that on page 987 in our ESV Bibles, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And when I say 1 Thessalonians, this is the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group uh, in a place called Thessalonica. And so that is our context, and here is what Paul writes. He said, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, Paul had a hand in planting the church in Thessalonica. So he knows these people. He knows them well. And what he understands is that there's some issues going on there. There's a measure of concern that is rising. And so he writes a letter to them. He's now moved on, and he is writing a letter to the believers in Corinth. And what is the concern? The concern is what happens after we die. This is why Paul says about those who are asleep. I don't mean who are asleep in the message right now. I mean those who are asleep. Asleep was used to describe a Christ follower who had died. Okay? So when we look at that text, it's a matter of who has passed from this life. And Paul wants his brothers and his sisters in faith to understand that they should not view death, that they should not view dying the same way as a non-believer does. Paul wants the believers to look at things completely differently. It's a different deal. Don't look at it the same. You see, his logic is simple. It's based upon biblical truth. Here's the biblical truth. Men, women, children who have repented of sin and placed their faith in Jesus have something that unbelievers simply do not have. That is hope beyond death. Why is that? I mean, Pastor, that could sound a little bit like wishful kind of religious thinking. It's just for the religious people. Well, look back at verse 14. Here's what Paul says. For since we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You see, it's because of our union with Christ by faith that we have resurrection hope. It's not by what we do. It's not by what we accomplish. It is by Jesus. Because Jesus was raised to life, those who are united with him in faith have hope beyond the grave. It's very straightforward. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, Pastor, that could be taken out of context. It might just be one little line that he writes in one little letter to a church. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 6. He says, we were therefore buried with him in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 
Here it comes. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It is our union with Christ. This is the reality for all who have faith in Jesus. It is not based upon your works. It's not based upon anything you did. It's all about Jesus and what he did. Now, when I made that comment about being exclusive, I want to tie that together right here. You see, our culture tosses out these entitlements or these expectations, and this right here flies directly in the face of that. If we are united with Christ, that is why we have hope. It is rooted firmly in Jesus, in his life, his death, in his resurrection. That's why we can grieve with hope. And that's the first of three ways that followers of Jesus are to engage with the reality of resurrection. You and I, as believers in Christ, as God's people, we can grieve loss with hope. Now, let's get real here for a moment. Grieving, grief, that is not something that any one of us sign up for. Nobody wants to experience the pain of loss or the pain of grief. In fact, most of what we do in our lives is to push that away, is to move away from that. We do things to numb the pain of our reality because we know that that is around the corner. Pain and death and dying are, in fact, part of the human experience. As much as we'd like to run away from them, we can't. What changes everything, what changes absolutely everything is our union with Christ by faith. You know, as a pastor, one of my responsibilities is to officiate or lead a a memorial service or a funeral. And I will tell you, with great clarity, with great conviction, there is a massive difference when you perform a memorial service for an unbeliever or for a believer. Make no mistake, there is deep sadness on both sides. That is a reality. We grieve the loss of the one we love. But let me reiterate that once again. If the deceased was a follower of Jesus, the experience is completely different. It's completely different. You might say, well, why? Well, the unbeliever, that's it. That's the end. There's no hope. For the believer, we have hope because of Christ. We have true, deep, abiding, rich hope because of Jesus. Not because of what our loved one did, not because of what they didn't do, but because of what Jesus did upon the cross. Defeated sin, he defeated death, and therefore those who are in faith have resurrection life. Amen. Now, church family, let's continue in our text. Pick it up at verse 15 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. 
that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now, the point here is actually pretty clear. The Thessalonians are not understanding the timing of all things resurrection. Now, here's where it gets interesting. They're not alone. You see, the point of... uh, The timing of all that we just read in those verses has been debated in different theological camps for generation upon generation. And I'm not going to stand here and say, hey, I solved it. I know the way it is. I know how it plays out. You know why? Because that is not the most important thing in this text. Far more important than the specific timing of things is what Paul wants all believers to understand, to grab a hold of, and that is this. When Jesus returns, resurrection happens. When Jesus comes back, resurrection happens. That's what we all can wrap our minds around, wrap our hands around, and gather in community in agreement with. When the Lord descends from his current seat with the Father in heaven, the dead in Christ will rise. And then all of God's people who are alive will be raised with them. Church, this helps us see the second way that believers can respond to the reality of the resurrection. We can anticipate Christ's return. God's people can eagerly anticipate the return of our Lord. Now, let me be clear about this. What we're talking about in Christ's return is a massive deal, it's huge. In fact, it is the ultimate big deal. It is the moment of all moments. It is the show of all shows. The moment when Christ returns, there will be nothing that compares to it. Now, I know many of you like the old marble movies. Those are cool. Don't compare. The fact is we have no real context of wrapping our mind around how amazing this will be. So do you know what we do? We live in the day-to-day. We live in the routine. And what we do is then we, we consider what the next big thing for us is on our calendar. As we're getting nearer to the summer, I guarantee you many of you right now are thinking, well, Pastor, I am looking forward to being on the beach. Sand in my toes, sun, can't wait to get to the beach. Others of you guys in here are like, hey, I am looking forward to hitting the golf course with my buddies. Can't wait to get out there. Some of you would say, nope, I'm about camping with my family and with my friends. I'm going to tell you, church, those things are all great. I'm looking for a few of those myself. But I want to challenge you this morning. Think bigger. Those are great, but I want you to think bigger. I want you to think way bigger. I want you to think about the future. I want you to think about things that are more significant. Because what we're talking about, when Jesus returns for the second time, it will be breathtaking. 
It'll be stunning. There'll be trumpets blasting the arrival of the king. Church, do you think about the return of Jesus? We talked about thinking about our eternity, but do we think about the return of Jesus? Let me encourage you to say yes. Let's think about the return of Christ because Jesus is coming for his people. Jesus is coming in victory. It is coming to raise his people to eternal life. That's our God. I love the way one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Mark Buchanan, he describes the future of those who are in Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, our future, who we are becoming, where we are going, that matters more than our past. You see, our future has more power to define us than our past does. So, Way Lake family, I want to encourage you today, eagerly anticipate the return of our King. Eagerly anticipate it. Now, let's go back to the Scriptures and find the final verse of today's text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Simple yet profound statement Paul drops right there at the end of this little section of Scripture, and it is the importance of each other on the journey of faith towards eternity. Paul closes out this section of his letter with kind of this simple response, and basically it just says, Believer, what I just told you about being united with Christ, that's true of you. And it's true of you. Let's remind each other of that reality. Be encouragers of one another. Support one another as we consider the significance of our future with Jesus. I love that. You see, it's because of our union with Christ that we actually have words to encourage each other. Words of hope. Words of resurrection, words of a future. This helps us see the third way that believers can respond to the reality of the resurrection. You and I are called to comfort one another. God's people in communion, in community, are called to offer comfort to one another. You see, the best part of this truth is that when we consider eternal things, we actually have words to do that. Unlike our culture that just says, you know, they're in a better place. They're better off. Those words lack hope. They lack hope because they're not pointing people to the truth of Jesus. Instead, for us as Christ followers, we can actually speak words of encouragement. We can actually speak words of comfort. We can actually speak words that minister to our souls. We can speak words that remind us that Jesus has been raised. We can speak words that declare that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
We can speak words that remind each other that as we are united to Christ by faith, that we too will be raised with Him when He returns. So if you are in Christ today, let me encourage you. That's your future. If you were here today and you would say, you know what, I'm not yet in Jesus, I don't know that I believe, well, maybe right here in this moment is the moment where you surrender. You'd say, that sounds amazing. I want to experience that. Well, here's how it begins. You recognize your need of Him. You recognize your sinfulness. You recognize your brokenness. And what you do is you bring it to the cross and you repent of your sin. That means a 180-degree turn. You're living a life of sin. You turn from that. And instead, you run to the cross. You run to Jesus who died for you that your sins might be forgiven that you might experience His grace and His mercy and ultimately resurrection life. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the good news for all who believe in this life and in the life to come. So now, as we close, not only today's message, but also our series, I'd like us to do what we began the series with, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand for this. I want us to affirm, to align our hearts with believers for centuries in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's proclaim it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.